Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Asset Allocation Weekly Report, dated July 23rd, 2021. By some measures, China's economy looks to be in pretty good shape. Growth in the second quarter, ending in June, was up 7.9% compared to the year earlier period, and it was up 1.3% over the previous three months. And that seems to indicate that China's economy is back on track after the pandemic. But by another measure, the picture in China doesn't seem to be as bright, and that may have implications for investment strategy. I'm Phil Adler. Confluence Investment Management Market Strategist Patrick Fearon Hernandez joins us today to discuss Chinese debt. Patrick, what measure do you use to calculate Chinese debt? Well, hi, Phil, and first of all, thanks for having me on the program. The standard way to measure a country's overall debt burden is to compare the volume of credit extended to its non-financial sector versus the size of the economy. In other words, you calculate credit to the non-financial sector as a share of gross domestic product or GDP. You exclude the financial sector because of its role as a financial intermediary. It borrows money from savers, but then it loans that money out to borrowers. So counting credit to the financial sector would result in double counting. And what does this measure show? Are Chinese debt levels high? This broad measure of credit shows that Chinese debt levels are high compared with the average developing country, and they're especially high compared with the major developing countries like Brazil or India, Russia or Mexico. When you say credit to the non-financial sector compared to GDP in China is very high compared to the emerging market average, why do we still think of China as an emerging market rather than a developed market? Well, even though China's economy has grown really rapidly for the last several decades, and even though its economy has become more complex and advanced, there's still a world of difference between it and the major advanced countries like the U.S., Japan, Germany, or France. For example, China's GDP per capita is still only a fraction of U.S. GDP per capita. In China's interior regions, incomes and people's productivity is still extremely low, and output is largely centered in low-value agriculture cultural production and other basic industries. Because of these factors, we think it makes sense to be concerned when China's debt burden is significantly higher than in similarly less developed countries. Breaking down the numbers, is there anything unusual about the nature of Chinese debt compared to other emerging markets? Yes. In our analysis, we utilize the credit statistics from the Bank for International Settlements. And for each country in its database, it calculates not only the overall debt burden, but also the credit extended to the country's corporate and household and government sectors. In China, credit extended to the household and government sectors is roughly in line with the other emerging market countries. Where China stands out is in its corporate sector. In China, credit extended to the corporate sector stood at 160.7% of GDP at the end of 2020. That's much, much higher than the average of 119.4% of GDP for all the emerging markets. Well, how did this happen? Why did debt held by corporations grow so much in China as opposed to debt held by the government and debt held by private households? 
Well, a lot of it can be traced to the coronavirus pandemic. In contrast with the government's strategy during the great financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, when it boosted fiscal spending and public borrowing to support the economy, this time around, the government put much more emphasis on supporting corporate borrowing to help companies get through the crisis. Between the end of 2019 and the end of 2020, credit to China's non-financial corporate sector jumped by more than 10% of GDP. So can we say that when we talk about Chinese economic growth being up in the second quarter, we're talking about growth propped up in large part by corporate debt and that the growth might be an illusion? Well, Chinese economic statistics are rather sketchy, so you you could probably always say that they're somewhat illusory. Nevertheless, the growth over the last year is what it is. I think the important issue is what those high debt levels mean for the future. Well, how, how long can this trend continue without some even more serious implications for the Chinese economy? It's always hard to pinpoint the exact level where a country's debt burden starts to have serious repercussions. But given that China's corporate debt burden is now so high, we think there's clearly a risk that it could impede economic growth in the coming years, especially if interest rates rise or international trade slows. In those situations, Chinese firms could find it difficult to service their debt, in which case they might suffer lower profit margins or they might have to cut investment or hiring. Just as important, there would be an increased risk that many might not be able to make their debt payments, which could spark a financial crisis and damage the country's financial system. Patrick, can you see the situation in China getting much worse very quickly, say, if interest rates rise around the world or the U.S. implements further trade barriers? Exactly. High debt burdens are a fragility and quickly rising interest rates or other sudden problems could spark a crisis even when no one can see it coming. Well, what are options for the Chinese government? China's debt burden presents a real dilemma for the government. On the one hand, it wants to clamp down on lending and force companies to reduce their debt, but that would simply imply slowing economic growth. On the other hand, continued loose monetary policy or allowing firms to keep borrowing would support faster growth, but it would also allow the debt burden to grow or at least to remain high and and risky. The government's now trying to thread that needle by modestly tightening debt restrictions in a targeted way, but at the first sign of economic slowing, it seems that they lose their nerve and loosen up policy again. I wonder, is this possibly good news for other emerging markets whose manufacturers are less hobbled by debt and more able to expand to supply products to meet world demand? At some level, yes, that probably is a consideration, although many other factors are also working in favor of certain emerging markets. For example, Chinese wage rates and other costs have risen dramatically from where they were, say, a decade ago. Maybe the most important thing is that the government is now clamping down hard on larger Chinese companies that are seen as growing so fast that they're becoming power centers in their own right. As the government seeks to cut them down to size, including by discouraging them from listing on foreign stock markets, that could ultimately weigh on their competitiveness versus other emerging market companies. 
We may initially be cheered, perhaps, by China's problems as the U.S. negotiates its place on the world stage. But it seems to me that in the past, the performance of the U.S. stock market was tied in great part to the health of the Chinese economy. And this doesn't bode particularly well for U.S. stocks. Is that perception in any way accurate? Well, as I just mentioned, the main threat that we're focused on right now is the Chinese government's clampdown on Chinese companies. At the same time, the U.S. government is clamping down on Chinese investment in the U.S. and U.S. investors' investment in Chinese stocks and bonds. In other words, we're seeing continued economic and financial decoupling between China and the U.S. Over time, breaking the global economy into a Chinese-centered block and a U.S.-centered block would probably make it less efficient, less dynamic, and less profitable. Naturally, that could negatively impact even U.S. stocks over time. Now that we're more aware of the nature and magnitude of China's debt, what's your advice to investors? Well, China's high corporate debt is just one concern. In the case of sudden regulatory moves by the Chinese or U.S. government regarding capital flows, investors could also face sudden declines in the value of their Chinese holdings. We're not necessarily saying that investors should exit their Chinese positions right now, but they should be aware of the increasing risks. Thank you, Patrick. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler. Phil Adler.